holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. And I don't deny that Alexis Sanchez is a great player. Decision like that uh, is not easy to make, but uh, you have to stand up for it. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Um... I don't know what kind of morning it is. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a Monday of some description. Yeah, uh, but what description? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I tell you what, right? Yeah, I did my part, guys. I was really ill this weekend. Were you? What happened? <laughs> I just had a really horrible cold. Like a, you'll still hear vestiges of it in me. Mm. But you know, I was sweating and sneezing and all sorts. And that should have made this a good weekend for Arsenal. Um, mm. But no luck. No, it, it seems perhaps that Arsenal have grown immune to uh, trifling petty illnesses like a cold, and you're probably going to have to go a little bit further if you're going to save this this football club from uh, extinction. I think that's where we are. Is that where we are? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I fear as much. I fear I've got to lose a limb or something. Speaking of which, I nearly, I think I nearly just killed one of Arsenal's PR team because <laughs> I was out but buying a morning coffee. Right. I sometimes go to this little coffee shop. I could make my own coffee, but it's better from there, so I go and get it before the podcast. So I went to get it, and on as I was walking along, I saw cycling uh, one of the guys who works for Arsenal works in PR at Arsenal where I've come to know a little bit right and so he went up oh, he went oh hi hi James as he went past and uh, I spun around and said oh it looks like you're in for a busy day today and as he turned around to try and listen to me he basically nearly cycled directly into a wall <laughs> and, and died <laughs> it was quite it was like uh, it was quite unfortunate and then it was one of those awkward things where he came back to ask me what I'd said and I was like oh I just said you know looks like in for a busy day it wasn't really worth you oh, screeching the brakes on and nearly killing yourself uh, oh. so you know I've uh, I've ingratiated myself at the club but he is going to have I mean that's the start of a, a difficult old day for him I imagine it certainly is Jesus I mean that would have uh, summed everything up wouldn't it how are we going to manage this yeah. situation sorry our PR guy uh, killed himself cycling into a wall because of James from Gunnerblog there's, uh, <laughs> we, we've got nothing to say now. Please uh, address any issues to, I don't know, or some intern. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, how, look, how, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm asking this, but how was your weekend? It was all right. It was all right. I went to, went to the cinema, went to see uh, Logan, which was great. If you like seeing baddies getting uh, stabbed through the head with Wolverine claws, then this is the movie for you. 
like up mm. through the jaw, down through the top of the head, in the side of the head, Wolverine spikes, just there's a lot of that going on. So if you like people getting their heads impaled and cut off and all that kind of stuff, then it's definitely uh, top of the list in terms of what you should be going to see in the cinema. Uh, That's good. That's probably the only way Abu Dhabi's sort of uh, attempted skull removal of John Terry could have been improved. If 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 Abu Dhabi had Wolverine-like toes <laughs> as he'd done it, cl- claws had fired out through his boots and yeah. skewered t- uh, Terry like some sort of ugly kebab. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like an ugly kebab. Brilliant. But yeah, I mean, look, that was a, a pleasant and welcome distraction from what happened uh, at Anfield on, on Saturday evening. So wh- where do we start with everything that's going on? Because there is, I mean, normally after a game, there's a lot going on. Normally after a game that you lose, there's a bit more going on because uh, there's a bit more analysis, a bit more introspection. People want to know, you know, what's going on and why this happened, why that happened. But of course, Yesterday we had all the um, all the stuff about Alexis Sanchez as well. This uh, this bust up story. So wh- where do we start um, in terms of this weekend? Should we just go with the game first? Or, I think you know, maybe the game. I mean, it's the game seems to have really <laughs> fallen off the agenda. Doesn't well, it? I really mean, they're intertwined, it, aren't they? Because obviously the the starting lineup uh, for the game plays very much into this Alexis Sanchez situation. Um Well let's let's do let's deal with it chronologically. When that starting lineup came out, what was your uh did you immediately think, well this has got to be a, a disciplinary thing? Yeah. 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 I mean there was no other real explanation for it, was there? Because he he wasn't injured. That was clear. Um the tactical explanation about wanting to go more direct no, you know, I did, you couldn't buy that because you, you just don't go into a game against Liverpool, a game of this importance away from home without a guy who has been, uh, you know, despite uh, some of his flaws, our best player this season, our, our most prolific goal scorer, our, our best creator this season. You just you just don't do it. I mean, simply for the reasons that. You know, Liverpool defensively have been pretty abject this season. They've conceded more goals than anyone else. And you can imagine that back four going, wow, brilliant. We we don't have to face Alexis Sanchez from the start. Yeah. Uh, amazing. So it seemed pretty clear that, that it was something beyond um, or something ha- had happened. Um, I mean, what did you think? I- well, yeah, I, I heard the tactical explanation, and apparently there is a little bit of supporting evidence for it in that Arsenal did look longer, more than they normally do. You know, Czech, uh, Ken, Early, Ken Early wrote a good piece on this, actually, about how, you know, Czech's distribution was longer, and they looked for Giroud and Welbeck. But the point is, you could still have got Alexis into that team. You could have got him in mm. almost anywhere. Uh, you could have got him on the right-hand side. You could have got him in as number 10. Yeah. I, I, you know... The, the, those things are not mutually exclusive. You could have played Giroud, Welbeck and Alexis. Mm. So, yeah, I thought it was very fishy straight away. I, it reminded me, in the first instance, of uh, when Andrea Chavin was left out of that FA Cup semi-final with Chelsea at a time when he was really important to the team. And I thought maybe that's what was going on, that this was a kind of a, a power play by Arsene and him showing, you look, I, I want the team to see they can succeed without Alexis. Uh, I want to play a more cohesive team style rather than one focused on individuals. But, I mean, uh, there was something very fishy about the whole thing and the, and the more we hear about it now, I guess, the more sense it begins to make. Um, it's, 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 a very, it's a very complicated one. I mean, 
was it the right call, I suppose, is the, is the big question. Um... From a footballing point of view, clearly not, right? Yeah. You know, but there is, I think, more to managing a football club than just picking the team and sending the team out. You know, you've got to, you, you're you're managing the squad, you're managing the team, you're trying to maintain some some uh, some harmony, some some balance in the dressing room. You know, th- that is important. But, you know, it, it felt ha- half-hearted in a way, didn't it? Because... Um, he didn't drop Alexis completely. He had him on the bench. And as soon as halftime came around and we were 2-0 down, the need to discipline him for whatever has happened was out the window. That that immediately became less important than our footballing needs. So it's hard to make the... It's hard to make the case that it was the right decision from a footballing point of view if you were willing to overlook it from uh, from halftime. You know, there are perhaps other ways that you could deal with it. Now... I, I think you, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because regardless of of how you view Alexis Sanchez or how you view Arsene Wenger, that if a player uh, behaves in a way that requires him to be disciplined, it doesn't matter whether it's the, the 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 team's best player or you know some young left back. I think the rules or the the, the disciplinary measures have to apply to everyone, right? But mm. then you have this. You had this need to win a football game and you make it just so much more difficult for yourself um, when you leave him out and and obviously taken in isolation, you might be able to justify it in certain ways, but because of the weight of everything that's going on, it immediately just polarized people, didn't it? It was like, well, I'm on Sanchez's side or I'm on Wenger's side. And, you know, I've seen people saying, well, you know, fuck Alexis Sanchez. We've got to kick him out of the club if this is the way that he's behaving, blah, 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 which seems absurd. And then you've got people who are, you know, well, fuck Arsene Wenger. He, you know, he, he, um, he ruined our chances of getting anything from that game. But, you know, at the same time, do people not want a manager to be ruthless or want a manager to, to be a bit of a disciplinarian? So it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, and everything's binary with Arsenal at the moment. Everything's, yeah. you know, Wenger in or Wenger out. You know, Arsenal knows or Wenger out. And then it's, you know, uh, are you are you with Wenger or are you with Alexis? You know, it's kind of like mm. it's everything split down the middle. And, and, and it... It is a very complicated one. I mean, the problem is that if if the if leaving out on the starting eleven was a kind of punishment and meant to somehow put him in his place, bringing him on at half time actually reinforced his importance to the team. You know, I think that it, yeah. it had sort of the counter effect of being like, well, you know, Alexis will be even more sure of himself around the place. He knows his importance even more now because we had to turn to him. Um, I understand the need to balance squad unity with results, but this result was such an important one for Arsene Wenger. Well, I mean, obviously, you, you and I don't know the, the absolute specifics of what went on on the training ground, but it must have been pretty bad for Arsene Wenger to take that risk and leave him out and cast him aside his best player. Yeah. Um who he's played in all kinds of crazy circumstances this season. You know, who he played against Manchester United after all those scares about his injury when he was away with Chile. He was straight in the team. You know, Arsmega relies on Alexis so often for him to not use him on this stage. Yeah. He must have had just cause, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you can't. In his mind. In like, his you, mind. Don't, you don't cut off your nose to spite your face unless you feel you absolutely have no choice but to do that. I just can't see, you know, Arsene Wenger. He's, he's uh, a man who is accused, I guess, of being a bit too indulgent to his players at times, that he lets them away with things, that he lets them away with poor performances, that he lets them away with behaviours that aren't necessarily what you would expect. So for him to absolutely uh, crack down, whether it's right or wrong, whether he's got to crack down or whether he, when he feels like he has to crack down, knowing he's going into a game like this where he really, really needed Alexis Sanchez, something serious must have happened on the training ground, that that, that particular bust-up that everybody is writing about. Um, I thought that was very interesting, uh, the, the, the comment that you made yesterday on Twitter. You said, when the same four or five journalists publish a piece at the same time, it can only have come from within Arsenal, uh, firefighting, etc., mm. etc., uh, and then immediately, uh, David Heitner of the the Guardian, uh, who was one of the people who who wrote the story, uh, or one of the journalists that wrote the story, obviously for his newspaper, said, "If you think this has been briefed by the club, you're wrong." So, uh, is it a briefing from elsewhere? Is the story being uh, handed to those journalists, perhaps from the Sanchez side of things, or what's the other option? That there's there's a leak. That someone else is from within the club is is telling stories. How I mean, how do we how do we view this? Because whatever way you look at it, how you want to perceive it, or how you uh, which you know people are they're divided into their teams uh, at the moment, or, or whatever side of the argument that they're on. It's impossible to look at this and not think it's a fucking mess that this is what's yeah. happening. Yeah, and look, I tell you, the person who'll be most unhappy about it coming out is Arsene Wenger. He'll be, mm. I'm sure, furious about that because this kind of stuff, you work pretty hard to keep it indoors. I spoke to David Heitner about that and he was insistent it didn't come from inside the club. Um, but, I mean, people will say, people will make, say, look, th- this would be typical of uh, a football club, not just Arsenal, but certainly Arsenal have got some form for this, whereby... Uh, the, the relationship with the player is broken down. A move away in the summer seems inevitable. So yeah. you start to paint a picture of this player as something of a villain. So that people... Yeah, it feels like that. Yeah, it does, it doesn't it? absolutely like that. That's why I'm a bit baffled by, by, by where else it may have come from. I mean, I guess there's a difference between being briefed directly by the club and someone in a position of power at a club leaking something I, you yeah. know, do you know what I mean they're not quite yeah. the same thing um, the other possibility in my mind is has it come from somewhere else in the dressing room that would be my other yes guess yeah yeah but whatever one whichever of those circumstances it is it's fucking it's terrible that this is what's happening that either uh, the club feel the need to do this or another player feels the need to do this or the Alexis camp feel the need to I, I, I don't quite I don't quite know, but, you know, it's... Um, I don't think it makes sense for the Alexis camp. No, really, it doesn't, actually. Now that, yeah, fair, fair. It doesn't, it doesn't paint him... Well, I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting question itself. Does it paint him in a in a bad light? I mean, that's, that's sort of the secondary discussion that sprung up, is if Alexis, you know, if these stories are correct, and I think we have to assume they are, has been giving his teammates jip and mouthing off and having strops, is that... Mm. Is that in itself a bad thing, or is it just that it's anathema to the culture at Arsenal? I, I, and is that part yeah. of the problem? 
I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I am told that the, the, the training ground bus stop is very real, that mm. that things were said um, that maybe shouldn't have been said or, you know, the, uh, again, it comes down to this thing. Is, is Alexis Sanchez behaving this way because he is just a pure winner frustrated uh, by what's going on around him? You know, and all of us watching this football team, this season and last season and the season before and, you know, the, the seasons where we've fallen short because of these small margins, I guess, where you say, oh, if only we had more players who had the the sort of attitude that Alexis Sanchez has, where they won't accept mm. second best, where they want everything to be as good as it can possibly be. I mean, we don't know. I mean, I think it's obvious that he, he does want that. Uh, he, he is a winner. He wants to win. But is there not also a way to to behave that perhaps there's an element of, of posturing to it as well. Um, it, it is tough, yeah. isn't it? I think uh, it is very tough. I mean, you know, when Alexis, when Alexis, is he saying anything different that any of us would say or feel in that situation? You know, I mean, as fans, I'm not saying that that's right or professional, but I think it's easy to empathize with someone's frustrations with Arsenal at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and I think inevitably, given the way he's played this season, fans are going to slightly rally to Alexis because, you know, what you, you kind of wish that other players were performing to that level. I know he's not flawless and I know he's not at the level of some of the great players we've had in the past, potentially, but he's been markedly our best player this year. And uh, I, I think that maybe, maybe he does rub people the wrong way uh, rub people up the wrong way at Arsenal, but maybe that's because there's something wrong at Arsenal rather he, than something wrong with Alexis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... You know, I don't doubt that the... He, he's a difficult character, I I believe. Yeah. You know, and I, I know you've heard that as well, that there... As a person, he's maybe a little bit difficult to get along with. You know, because mm. because he's so driven, because he's so focused on football and only football that, you know, that there have been some issues in the past with him. And, you know, those things can be indulged. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, with, with training ground incidents or bust-ups or arguments. You know, it's completely unrealistic to think that you have a group of 25 uh, players who all get along, who all love each other, et cetera, et cetera. That, ju- that just does not happen. You know, stuff happens all the time at football clubs. It doesn't come out. It stays on the training ground. You know, the sanctity of the dressing room is uh, is kept intact uh, for the most part. And it's when stuff like this leaks that you, you really start to worry because then it's clearly from people who have some kind of an agenda or feel like this suits them to get that information out there. So, yeah. you know, it is it's, whatever way you look at it, it's a mess. And it is... It, it plays into the overall feeling that things at the club are are not necessarily spiraling out of control, but but the manager maybe isn't able to keep on top of things the way that he should be. I mean, did you did you see what Ian Wright has suggested uh, about mm. about Mesut Ozil, who got wind of the fact that he might be dropped for the weekend and pulled a sickie? Basically, I mean, where how do we how the hell do you get your yeah, head I mean, around one that? of the papers? One of the papers ran with that as well. I mean, I, I can't speak to the veracity of that, but uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I really hope 
I really hope for everyone's sake that isn't true. It does feel a little bit like things are coming apart at the seams. I mean, to briefly go back to the Alexis thing, I was just having a quick look online, and it was only it was only in the middle of January. It was only six weeks ago when uh, he threw a bit of a strop after coming off. I think it was against Swansea, and Arsene Wenger said, "Well, look, that's his character. You know, some South mm. Americans are different to Europeans. We have to understand that. We have to appreciate that. He's a winner. He's a fighter. All these sounds." That's only six weeks ago. I, mm. I find it difficult to believe that in that short space of time, things have changed so dramatically that Alexis is now, you know, a problem. I, I feel like it's... It, it doesn't quite add up to me. And I think... I, I, yeah, I, I worry that uh, what it feels... I mean, if you get this kind of breach from the dressing room, if you get these kinds of stories coming out, what it feels like is that there's a a problem of authority and a problem of respect. And it's, yeah. that, that's the most concerning thing, really, because footballers don't have to get on, really. Like, they don't have to like each other no. to be successful. I'm sure we've had great teams in the past where, you know, there hasn't necessarily, they haven't necessarily been best mates, but they've made it work. People always allude to, you know, Teddy Sheringham, Andy Cole, whatever. But, like, you know, you can be... <laughs> a bit of a bit of needle isn't always the worst thing, and um, I, I mean, again, he's not he's not our favourite person. But I remember seeing Rio Ferdinand talk the other day on television. He was saying, I, "I'm not sure how I'd feel about playing for Arsenal because I feel like it's the kind of place you couldn't call out your teammate. You couldn't, you know, set those kind of expectations and you know put mm. a few heads together." And you know, people talk about it as a bit of a crash at London Colney, and you do slightly worry that it's it's become so pampered that when things like this come up uh i don't know that, that, that it doesn't hold together yeah and it, it, it's i mean unfortunately you know sooner or later i mean i know it's supposed to be talking about the game but it all comes around to the manager really i think because it's his authority ultimately that's being challenged yeah did you i mean did you watch the the interview with uh bt sport yeah and he was asked, actually, something similar about this, where he, uh, the guy asked him, one of the first questions was like, you know, is it a case that, you know, the players are not afraid of you? You know, he says, you're not the kind to throw teacups around. And he, Arsene was saying, well, look, you know, I've, you know, I've been managing for X amount of years. Do I, do I have to uh, tell you that I know how to manage a football team or that I know how to, to, to have authority in the dressing room? But it does feel like... That, that authority or the messages uh, that he's sending out to the team, both from either a disciplinary point of view or uh, the way he wants them to behave or, or even the way he wants them to play, uh, are not getting through, that they're not listening anymore. I thought what was extraordinary after the game was was Hector Bellerin. Um, yeah. He, he said, after the tough weeks we've had, the team should have gone onto the pitch motivated and ready from the start. In the first half, it didn't feel like we were ready, and then we went 2-0 down. And it's like, how how is it possible, after two weeks of solid training, that you all your focus is on this game, and you know how important it is? And I don't doubt for a second that that importance was drilled into them on the training ground. But they go out, and then you've players saying that they weren't ready, or they didn't. You know, I, that to me is yeah. is a big worry. And I think it, it, all of this, whether it's a, you know the Alexis stuff, whether it's the Mesedozil stuff, uh, the performance, uh, the way we've performed and behaved in in certain games, 
it all is part of the, the wider issue at the club, I think. You know, it all it's all part of the same big stew of shit, you know? Um, well, everyone's freaking out a bit, right? <laughs> yeah. And justifiably so. Like, you know, the, the, the players are like, well, we can't... It feels like a club that's rudderless at the moment. There's no direction. There's no plan. Mm. And, you know, I think for the players, that's alarming, probably. They don't know what their future holds. For the manager, it seems deeply alarming. He seems to be in a position where he, he might be forced out of a club where it looks like he doesn't want to go. Um, and obviously for the fans, you know, we're looking at it from the outside. And it's a terrifying prospect. I mean, this summer feels potentially... You know, cataclysmic. I mean, you you could see Arsenal lose their manager and their two best players, um, and I mean, who knows where we go from there? It is definitely a a scary time. And what's scariest about it is it's impossible to see the path forward. There mm. doesn't appear to be any kind of indicator or plan. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It feels you know because there's been uh, stability, I guess you would say, for so long. At Arsenal. Like, Arsene Wenger's been in charge for 21 years. And there has been, in a way, I mean, people scoff, don't they, where they go, oh, Arsenal, top four, you know, other finished fourth, fourth place trophy, etc., etc., etc. But that's taken for granted, almost. Hmm. Because it's happened so often. It's happened every year. We've either won the league or finished second or third or fourth. We've never been below that. And there's this assumption that, well, this is what, this is what will happen. One of those things, and clearly over the last number of years, it's been the finish, you know, third or fourth, has happened more often than not. But you still have, next year you've got Champions League football, and however that goes, you know, we know round of 16, blah, 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 blah. But this, what appears to be happening now, uh, it's a bit like standing on, on thin ice. All of a sudden, after being, you know, on the middle of a gigantic glacier or iceberg, now you're standing on some thin ice, and we we have literally no idea what is going to happen. N- nobody. Yeah. It seems like nobody has any idea what's going to happen. And this is why I think while all the focus is on the manager, and, and I understand that to a large extent because he is the guy uh, around whom everything revolves at Arsenal. And we might talk about that a little bit later on as to how that's happened or why that's happened or should it have been allowed to happen. But he is that guy. I do think there is the need to step back and look at the overall situation at Arsenal Football Club and its readiness for change, its ability to deal with what will be a, a seismic change this summer if Arsene Wenger doesn't continue. Um the board, the ambition of the owner, the the lack of structures that we have, I think all of those things need to be taken into account and need to be considered. If we're going to have a rational discussion about the future of Arsenal Football Club, it can't be just who's going to replace Arsene Wenger. It just can't. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I really think that that lack of direction stems from the ownership and from the board. I suppose the problem is, as a fan, that feels so... <sighs> untouchable. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, it feels like, you know, well, none of us are going to turn around and buy Stan out. So it's like, how do we expect that to change? Yeah. I, I think it's almost impenetrably 
fucked. Yeah, if that well, makes any sense. sure, I get, I get that, but I mean, it, you know, there's uh, apparently a protest tomorrow night, uh, and I'm not like fully aware of the details uh, of this protest. Uh, I, I believe it's focused or aimed at the the manager about how it's it's time for for him to go. But I think it would be remiss of those people who are choosing to protest tomorrow night if they didn't also focus on uh, the board and focus on the owner. To some extent, I'm not saying make them the, the, the meat and drink of it, but to just protest against Arsene Wenger seems, I don't know, it seems a bit like calling the doctor over and saying, look, I've been shot in the leg, just treat my leg, when you've also, you know, had your arms uh, sawn off or something. I don't, you know, I don't quite know how to explain it, but I think there has to be uh, an awareness that it's not just uh, the managerial situation that needs attention. That's of course. With that. it, yeah, it's more nuanced than that, and I think that the problem is that when you say that, you know, if you're on certain parts of the internet, people jump down your throat and say, "Oh, you're making excuses for Arsene Wenger," which I don't think is entirely what you're saying, really. I mean, no, there, it's are, not. there are multiple problems. Of course. Uh, and look, I think you you made your position very clear uh, with the piece that you wrote uh, on Gunner Blog, which uh, doesn't work, and so we posted yeah. it <laughs> on Ars Blog, and uh, people can, can have a read of that. If they haven't already, just, you know, click on arsblog.com, and the, the post is called, I think, Renewing My Vows. Uh, th- there's a big Gunner Blog thing on it as well, so you can read what you think about the manager and what needs to happen, and my feeling is that at the end of his his current contract, Arsene Wenger should not sign a new one, and I and that Arsenal need a new manager. So I'm not making neither of us are making any kind of excuses for Arsene Wenger, but let's let's be open enough to look at the big picture surrounding this football club because people want the football club to work, they want the football club to be successful. So unless the other key issues are addressed along with that of the manager, then then I think it's going to be a problem. Sure. I think that's true. I think that's true. I mean, the the wild optimist in me says that we don't know how much the executives at this club can do because Arsene Wenger is so omnipotent. Um, and maybe, maybe, that someone like Ivan Gazidis has more vision for this football club than we realise, but has not been able to implement it. But I appreciate that may be a very naive belief. Yeah, I'd be. I'm really worried. I'm <laughs> honestly, I'm really worried. I mean, look, uh, there's an, an article that's just been published this morning. Uh, here it is. Uh, it's in the Telegraph. Uh, bum bum bum. Let me get this up here. All right. So this is in the Telegraph. It is posted by Telegraph Sport. So there is no byline on it. I'm just going to refresh it to see if they've put a byline on it. Uh, so I'm always suspicious of. Uh, articles that don't have a byline where you don't know who's written the piece. Uh, mm. The headline, Arsenal legend Thierry Henry is Josh Kroenke's preferred candidate to replace Arsene Wenger. Now, to me, that just sounds like uh, rampant populism because Thierry Henry is a legend. He's a great player. Everybody loves Thierry Henry, the player. Josh Kroenke, well, if you're that guy... What do you do to try and get people on side? Well, I'll go with the guy that everybody loves, Thierry Henry. Who could argue against Thierry Henry being the manager of Arsenal? He's such a great player, blah, blah, blah. Whereas there are 50 reasons why Thierry Henry at this moment in his career should not be 
the next manager of Arsenal Football Club. You know, so this is what's yeah. being, this is what's coming from the board. There is a very obvious example of someone on the board or close to the board or certainly Josh Kroenke, either Josh Kroenke himself or someone, you know, uh, in his employ leaking a story, briefing uh, a member of the press to try and manipulate uh, sections of the fan base into them, into thinking that they know what they're doing. And if you step back and think about it, Thierry Henry to replace Arsene Wenger? Come on. No. Come on. You know, it's... The man's learning his trade from Roberto Martinez with Belgium, so (laughs) it's the last thing we need. Uh, Anyone who's sure to defend against Liverpool will know that. But, uh, yeah, it is a, a very, very troubling time, and it feels like... It almost feels like a wave is building, doesn't it, of like mm. uh, a, a tsunami is kind of coming. And, and I, the funny thing is that this Liverpool match was kind of a, an opportunity to put up a bit of a dam against that, to to hold back that tide and maybe even, I don't know, you know, mm. turn things around somewhat. And it's an opportunity that completely passed us by. And yeah. If anything, with the Alexis story on top of that, uh, with these whispers about Meza Ozil... The pressure has just ramped up all over again. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it's only early March. There's two more months of the season. You you fear, really, slightly how bad it could get. Yeah. And that's before even looking at the summer. Well, I mean, look, it was... I mean, we haven't even talked about the football, so we might as well uh, touch on that a little bit. But, you know, it, it was a game where, to me, it was almost like a... The last chance saloon of the season to show that you are a team that still has something about you. That's got a bit of fight left in you. That's got quality that can that can get a uh, can get a, a result at a big team away from home. It's it's a result that maybe could just kickstart you going into the final months of the season, where we have in the past been able to put runs together to to salvage a season, to add an air of respectability to a season. And you were mm. looking for these players to be a inspired by the manager and b play for the manager to to put in a performance that shows they're behind him, and mm. we didn't get that. I didn't see that at all, James. You know that was really worrying to me. That you know, for all the talk about how the players have let the manager down, um, that there just was not uh, a coherent game plan to deal with a Liverpool side that were just in terrible form going into this. I mean, people talk about uh, Alexis being absent, but w- w- what about the uh, the midfield issue that I think is being overlooked in a, in a very significant way? We're in March and we do not have a midfield duo that works together. And that has no. been the case all season. Since Santi Cazorla has gone... You know, Francis Coquelin does not work with any other player than Santi Cazorla. That's... and I, I, Yeah, I mean, I tell you now, Arsenal are already uh, making kind of inroads, uh, putting word out to agents about positions they're looking at for next season. It won't surprise you uh, a central midfielder is, is right at the top of that list. And that's crazy, given the sheer number of options we've had in that, that area of the park. Uh and yet we can't seem to find a solution. And, it, and it's... Um, Cochrane and Xhaka were a, a disaster, I thought, at yeah. Anfield. I mean, really poor. And for from, from everything I understand about Xhaka, I mean, I thought he, he had a, 
I didn't think he had a good game by any stretch, but I think he's lost at Arsenal. I think he's, uh, you know, from what I know, he's been telling people, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and he, he came from a system at Munchen Gladbach where he had a very clear, defined role mm. as a deep distributor. Now he, he never understands if he's playing number six, he's playing number eight, if he's supposed to be pushing on, if he's supposed to be deep. Uh, I think he's tactically, you know, clueless, clueless, not because of his own inability. You know, he's a top international player, but because he doesn't fully understand the, the system. And I think he's not alone in that. I mean... Cochrane's shortcomings are being exposed. He makes a brilliant partner for Santi Cazorla, but without Cazorla there, um, mm. he, he doesn't seem quite the same player. I mean, he, you know, we basically can't get away with it without Cazorla there. That's exactly, yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, no. Yeah, he, he's a great counterpoint to Cazorla, but because he's everything that Cazorla's not in some respects, but, um, you know, that, that's not enough to be one of the first names on the team sheet. I mean, that's a, a real mess, and... Yeah, again, I, the sense of the sense of there being no plan is sort of true at every level of the club. It's true in the grand scheme in terms of the ball, but also it's true kind of microcosmically when you look at the match itself. And what's most troubling is that we had two weeks, basically, to prepare for this game. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure what happened with Alexis and Ozil disrupted those plans, but even so, it didn't feel like there was any clear strategy I mean even this kind of long ball thing was so half-hearted and ag- against our natural qualities yeah um, yeah I mean exactly what, Arsene yeah. is going to go direct you're going to what like bypass the midfield and just stick it up to the big man who got no service I mean like I don't think Giroud was great but he got literally no service um Second half, he was he was better uh, for, for a period, but you know the the idea that Arsenal should play long ball, obviously to try and counter the Liverpool press, but we, you know we didn't do that. We didn't do that well at all. Um, you know it, it was a performance that you know the goals we conceded were poor defensively. We were poor. Uh, we had uh, after we scored uh, the goal after the Danny Welbeck goal, which was really nice. We didn't have a shot on target. No. Get, you know how many times have we ha- have we had this discussion? You you think about the the Old Trafford game, you know, get, getting it back to three two with just about twenty five minutes, half an hour to go, including injury time, and and not troubling uh, Manchester United last season. You know the the, I mean, the goal felt like sort of something that was just out of the blue, rather than something that we manufactured because of the way we were playing. You know, you, yeah. you you just can't control a football game if you don't have a central midfield that works. And, you know, we've guys like, I feel really sorry for for Alex Iwobi, who's a really, like a few months ago, we were talking on here about what a great talent he is and how exciting it is to watch him play and, and how positive he is. And he feels like a, a kid who needs to be taken out of the firing line because he's only had about 12 months of first-team football on a regular basis. He looks like his development is uh, plateaued a little bit. He looks like he's short on, of confidence and belief. The team doesn't look like it's got the structures to, to support a, a player going through that period. And yet he's played and fans are beginning to turn on him. And I think that's, that's telling of the manager as well. Okay, I, I you think, can, yeah, and you, I have to say, yeah. 
sorry, I have to say, like, I think <laughs> singling out Iwobi for criticism, I, I, I think that's a bit of a joke, really. I mean, yeah. the guy's so young, and he's he's not picking himself, is he? You know, he's he's going through a bad patch of form, which is natural in any young player. Mm. It's not his fault that he's continually, you know, pushed through a rut. And, and it, basically what's happened, I think, is that he has become one of Arsene Wenger's guys who he sees as integral to the team. I think there are a few names that... Cochrane is one actually. Arsene Wenger's obsessed with the idea of balance, and I think he thinks that Cochrane gives him balance. And I think he thinks Iwobi gives him balance. That he kind of smooths uh, the team's attacking play. But you know, he, he is in a poor run of form. I just think I, I find it a bit much when I see him coming under fire because yeah. I, I don't question his commitment. I don't question even his talent. I just think he's a young guy who's, who's struggling out there. Do, uh, does, but, it, um, does it worry you that Iwobi and, let's say, Hector Bellerin, who's another example of a really fantastic young talent, who now people are going, well, maybe he's not as good as we thought he was, but, you know, is there is there a common thread here? That a young guy who comes into the team at first is is energized, a, bit, a little bit liberated, you know, he's free to express himself, but as time goes on, you know, he's he's not able to maintain these standards. I mean, it used to be a time when Arsene Wenger would take a young player and, you know, a rough dime or a rough gem and he'd polish it up and this guy would become fantastic. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be working that way anymore. Well, is that again, I mean, is that again to do with the atmosphere at Arsenal being too relaxed? I mean, if you, you know, we're talking about Iwobi and saying the problem is that he, he seems to play almost irrespective of form. That's not quite the same as mm. being in intense competition for places. Equally, Hector Bellerin, I mean, it's been made very clear to him that he is really the only real option at right back. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the best thing for your development to know that whatever happens, if you are fit, you will play. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that probably plays a part in it. I mean, the goal that we scored, you say it sort of came from nothing. What it came from was Alexis Sanchez taking the ball at his feet and breaking the game open, as he's done so many times this season for us. We, we yeah. got away without having a structured midfield because of individual brilliance at times, largely down to Alexis. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you cannot win a league without a midfield. You cannot... You can't do that, and, and and we've got no shape, no structure, and no clue on even who the personnel should be in there. I feel sorry for, I feel sorry for Coquelin and Xhaka because I feel like they're on a hiding to nothing. And and Liverpool's press is flawed; like they tire over the course of the season, they tire during games, but it is at least something. It is a clear strategy, and like yeah. when you look at the work that people like Lalana do, tracking back, you know, winning the ball deep. You don't see an Arsenal number ten operating with anything like that level of instruction. Yeah, um, and so how can you expect to compete with it? But the frustrating thing is, we knew exactly what they would do, and had no discernible answer. So, I mean, where do where does that defeat leave us? I mean, what conclusions can we draw from? The Liverpool game is has it taught has it told us anything we don't already know? I mean, as I said to you, it felt a bit last chance saloon to me that if if this team was going to get itself going, it was in that game. And they didn't and couldn't. Well, I think something we already knew is that we're in a a huge fight to make the top four. I mean, you know, Arsenal fans, it it troubles me that Arsenal fans aren't really talking about Spurs at the moment. It's because the fear is very real that Arsenal will finish below Spurs. I mean, I think probably we will finish below Spurs. Mm. And I, I hope to God everyone's laughing at me and saying I'm wrong at the end of the season. But when I look at... 
you know, the way they're playing versus the way we're playing, that's a, a difficult pill yeah. I'm sort of, you know, thinking about having to swallow. But even the top four itself, I mean, we're very fortunate United dropped points this weekend in surprising circumstances against Bournemouth. Had they not, we'd be in sixth place right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And the fixture list isn't particularly kind. I mean, look, you know, we've got Bayern Munich tomorrow, which yeah. uh, feels like the, the last thing we need, to be honest. I sort of forgot it was happening, and now it is. I'm like, oh, Christ, we've got to get through that. Yeah. Then uh, Lincoln in the cup, fine. But then the next game is West Brom away. I wouldn't fancy us. And then City at home. Mm. So there's more potential trouble on the horizon. I, I don't know what we take away from it, really, I guess. For me, Anfield was one of the few opportunities Arsen has between now and the end of the season to kind of win people back, and he didn't. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, beating Lincoln and things like that's not really gonna, not really gonna cut it. Yeah. So I feel like the the atmosphere is going to be pretty toxic now for the next few weeks. All right. Well, look. Uh... I'm just seeing pictures here of Arson Arson Binger and Alexis Sanchez having a handshake at training uh, before the the Bayern game. So uh, everything seems to be okay again. It's all good. <laughs> we're we're all sorted. Um, I mean, look, it's a big game tomorrow against Bayern. There's no way we're going through, but it's a game in which we need to restore some some pride. Uh, in our performance, and uh, you know, I don't know. You fear the you feel the worst, I guess. But um... Meza Erzo at least is at training, so he's obviously been told he, he's he's back in the team or something. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look, will we take a, a little break here and come back with some questions? Let's yeah, let's take a break. I'll blow my nose, and then we'll come back and uh, carry on. Yeah. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page. Before we get into the questions, James, uh, we've had a couple of uh, haikus sent to us this Ooh. morning. I don't know whether it's something in the water or people have decided that haikus are the, the form of expression that they would like to use to get across the way they're feeling at the moment, but uh, one comes from Greg Porter, who's at Peyton underscore Westlake, and he says it's an Arsenal haiku. Arson, it's been great. A real roller coaster ride. Sorry, bored now, though. 
Uh, and we also have one from <laughs> we have one from Anna, who also says Arsenal a haiku, and hers is. Uh, her uh, her Twitter name is Mertesacker, where the uh, A in Mertesacker is a four. Uh, oh my God, help us! Giroud's beard, Bellerin's hair, the cause to our mare. <laughs> it's nice. It's look. It's good to see that uh, Arsenal's troubles are at least prompting some creativity. I fear that my haiku. I think it's like what is it? Seventeen syllables. Mine would just be fuck seventeen times. <laughs> fuck, 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 fucking fuck, 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 yeah. fuck. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, um, um, I should I should point out actually that I uh, in the in the recording of this podcast have contracted your cold. Uh, so if I know I'm, I'm st- yeah. I'm that contagious that through the microphones alone. Mm. Um, but I hope I'm better this week. I'm going to do my plug now, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, I have got a show on in London this week. If you're listening in London, uh, I'm doing a comedy show. Beasts present Mr. Soho 2017. It's at Soho Theatre from Thursday till Saturday. And guys, the great news is nothing to do with football. Literally, Arsenal and Arsene Wenger aren't mentioned once. Now, sometimes that's a problem for people who come knowing me from f- football stuff. And like, oh, mm. I don't talk about football. I feel like at the moment, that's a very welcome facet of the show. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we did it up in Edinburgh. It's really funny. I would say that because I'm in it. Um, but I've got a shitload of tickets to sell. So if you want to be a pal... <laughs> Come down and check it out. So where do people get tickets from the Soho Theatre website? Sohotheatre.com. Right. Absolutely. That's Thursday till Saturday. Do it. We could do with some comedy in our lives that isn't necessarily uh, our defending. Exactly. Isn't that just what we need at the moment? Mm. Right. Shall we move on to some questions? Yes, let's do that. Do you want to go first? I will. Okay. Well, obviously, I mean, I suppose it's a bit predictable what the question's going to be about, but... um, We'll go for it anyway. So this is from Nick on Twitter. Uh, we had a lot of people asking this, but I went for this one. He said, uh, will Takuma Asano play a part next season? And is there any news about him that we should know of? Um, okay, first... Are Sorry, you... I, should have said, I should have said, his Twitter handle is at Terrific Takuma. So right, I probably okay. should have mentioned that before, he's got, yeah. He's got a vested interest in this. Uh, are you clicking a pen? Yes, I am. Sorry. Would you please stop that? Because it's... I should say, the show at Soho Theatre is just me clicking a pen for an hour. That's what that is. Um, so it's really great value. Great. Um, I'll stop clicking the pen. I'm nervous. Uh, Arsenal are making me nervous. Okay. Now that the pen clicking has stopped, I can answer that question. I can, I can focus my mind on that question. Okay, come on. Will Takuma Asano play a part for Arsenal next season? Just delving into the... The soothsaying part of my mind. Crystal ball. Not a fucking chance. (laughs) (laughs) Poor old Takuma. I don't even know how he's getting on. I've seen a couple of goals pop up on Arsblog News here and there. Yeah, he's he's done that. But should we should we look him up? See how he's doing? Yeah, why not? Who's he playing for again? Twenty two now. Who's he playing for? Stuttgart, isn't it? Is it yeah? Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Okay, Stuttgart, okay. I'm gonna look up Stuttgart. Here we go, going on to SoccerBase.com. That's what you need for all your uh, stats needs. Takuma Asano, he has played 18 Bundesliga 2 games. No, that's a lie. He's played 17 Bundesliga 2 games and one German Cup game. Mm. He has scored two goals. 
Now, he may have contributed, uh, you know, some assists or pre-assists or pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-assists. I'm not quite sure. But from a striker's point of view, two goals from 18 games is not... um, What's a a diplomatic word I could use here? Very good. No, that's right, yeah. I mean, if Alexis goes, I don't think he's he's lined up to be the replacement. Although, (laughs) looking at his his playing map over on whoscored.com, he has played in the following positions this season. Left midfield, central midfield, right midfield, forward left, forward centre, attacking midfielder right... And attacking midfielder left. He's like some kind of attacking Nelson Vivas. He's a utility man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bloody hell. Um, I mean, that suggests he's probably not particularly good in any of them. But uh, I don't know. Look, I mean, he's still young. We'll, we'll see what becomes of Takuma. I, I, I fear that even if he does come back, that probably won't be the defining quality of next season. I don't think that's going to be what makes or breaks it. Mm. No, I, I think fair? yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, okay. yeah. If we're <laughs> if we're going to put all our eggs in the Takuma basket, I think that would be wrong. Okay, well now we've dealt with that issue. Um, okay, onto less important matters. All right, Peter Brown, who's at Patter De Brune One on uh, Twitter, wants to know how would you apportion blame? Because you know we're in the blame game right now. We're in the we're in the blame sure. zone. Uh, how would you apportion blame between board, manager, and players for our current predicament? And predicament Ooh. is in, in uh, inverted commas. What's he looking for? A percentage? I guess so. I, I don't know. Just you know, maybe just vague. You know, I don't know. Uh, I I actually feel that I think I I think I think I hold the manager and the board more accountable than the players, to be honest. Because although the players are the ones who are ultimately responsible out on the field, Mm. I can kind of see how they've managed to slip into this kind of passive state that they're in. And I think that comes from what's above. Um, I think fundamentally that the lack of a change in manager over such a long period has created an environment at Arsenal that that kind of doesn't really bring the best out of players. Because Mm. I think we do have a talented squad. And I think if you put these players in other squads, they would thrive. And I think that potentially if you put a new coach at the helm, they might thrive. Uh, So I think the players, you know, while I, I don't like to see it when they, you know, they shirk challenges or what have you, I think for the most, or missed chances even, for the most part, I don't really hold them responsible. I'd say they're, you know, they're the least culpable Mm. in my eyes. Um, Then, then for me, I guess I think it's a a pretty even split because I think ultimately, you know, the board aren't responsible for the way the team go out and play, but I think they are responsible for the inertia that is around the club and that has allowed Arsene Wenger to get himself into this position. So Mm. I think it's a fairly even-handed thing from that point on. So I'd say, you know, 20% to the players and 40% each to the the other guys. What about you? Yeah, maybe a little more, uh, if we're going to blame, maybe a little more towards the manager because in some ways, uh, you know, he's, he's taken on all this responsibility uh, to do all the things that he does at the club and and probably could down the years have 
asked for more help or got more help along the way? Yeah, I mean, this, this, this is the thing. Like, if you're going to put more blame on Arsene Wenger, I guess the question is, and what defines it really is, has he been obstructive to our evolution and, and, and to our chances of a successful succession. Yeah, because, you know, you could make the point as well that the board, while they, you know, they don't necessarily have a great deal of ambition, haven't really, as far as we know, stopped Arsene Wenger from spending money. That the money is, you no. know, it's, it's been one of the consistent messages. Even when the stadium was being built, you remember uh, a Danny Fisman quote, and he said... Something along the lines of, you know, I said to Arsene, you know, one time, what, what would you do if I gave you a hundred million pounds? And Arsene Wenger said, I'd give it back. You know, uh, so the, the, the message from the board, whether it's true or not, or how true it is, you know, I can't say, has always been that if Arsene Wenger wants to spend money, the money is there for him to spend. And I think we've mm. seen that with Sanchez, with Ozil. Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of money over the last two or three years. You know, I know he didn't buy anybody uh, the, the summer before last, only Petr Cech. But, you know, there was uh, uh, Sanchez came in uh, the previous summer, Callum Chambers, uh, you know, Gabriel came in, Ospina came in. I know Gabriel was January. Matthew Debushi came well in. Uh, yeah. Welbeck came in. And then last summer, you've got Mustafi, you've got uh, Xhaka, what, 70 million pounds for the two of them. You know, it's not like we haven't been spending money. So I know I don't really know if the board are being uh, obstructive to Arsene Wenger. I don't know if even Arsene Wenger has been deliberately obstructive. It just sort of has suited him to be able to do things the way that he wants to do them. And there's been nobody to say, maybe we should do it a different way. And then you, you create yeah. this vacuum that we exist in at the moment. Well, yeah, and I guess no one with the authority even, you know, to, to challenge him. The interesting thing is Arsene Wenger talks about, I want what's best for Arsenal Football Club. Uh, and I believe him when he means it. I, sorry, I believe him when he says it, but, I, but I, I also feel that if that really is his priority, surely he would have put more, more in place for a potential succession, mm. you know? Yeah. Like, he's been such a great custodian, but it seems odd that at this point, which is potentially the end of his reign, he steered us through such a difficult time, and now he's taking his hands off the wheel almost. Mm. It's, it's you know, the guy who led us through the, the, the stadium change and who protected the club like it was his own at the point where it all might be about to come to a close for him seems content maybe to leave the club in a place where there's i don't know there's 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 nothing no stability whatsoever which is the thing he's he's really prized over the years yeah you know and then look i don't doubt that he only wants what's best for the club uh but again you know you could ask that if it's gone on so long where his departure would be so would have such reverberations is is there not some responsibility on him to have future proofed the club to a certain extent yeah but then is that like asking a turkey to vote for christmas you know it's that kind of weird situation so you know as as i said in the first part though i think ignoring the the role of the board uh, going forward 
and thinking that just changing the manager is a cure-all or the be-all and end-all to our problems is absolutely and utterly wrong. Um, you know, I think there has to be more focus on them and even some pressure put on them. I don't know quite what it is. You know, the, the, the idea that Arsenal fans are so divided right now, there's such a division in almost every way, every incident, everything that happens, fans are, are divided and, and you do wonder if maybe the one thing that people could come together on is maybe putting some pressure on the club and on the board and on the owner to be a bit more proactive or to to show the kind of ambition that we want from a big club. You know Ivan Gazidis and that famous quote how we'll be able to we'll be able to do things that surprise you. We'll be able to compete with the likes of Bayern Munich. We can't. We can't compete with Bayern Munich. Look at what they did to us on on the pitch. That's how you show if you're competitive. Can we spend more money than Bayern Munich? Perhaps. Maybe we can spend more money on transfer fees because we've got all this uh, television money. But that's not the measure of how competitive you are. And that's not the measure of your ambition either. It's ultimately what happens on the pitch. And we cannot and have not competed with Bayern Munich uh, since that time. And, you know, we're a long way from being a a club that... uh, the club that people wanted us to be when we moved to the Emirates Stadium. The point of it was to be able to go and compete with Bayern Munich, with Barcelona, with Real Madrid, with Manchester United, uh, with the big clubs in Europe, with the Italian clubs, etc., who were, you know, I mean, reputationally and in terms of, uh, in, in terms of profile, you're not going to be a Real Madrid. You're not going to be a Barcelona because they have this weight of history behind them. But... If the idea was to become a club like that, a competitive football team like that, then it's failed. Yeah, it uh, it, it has. And I guess the project of the last three years has failed. That's, that's my overriding mm. feeling is that, you know, 2014, winning the FA Cup felt like a stepping stone to relaunching this club into, you know, top European competition. Mm. Uh, and, and Arsene Wenger, I think, earned the right to try and do that. But I think what we've seen over the last three years is that that hasn't happened. And, you know, we spoke about spending money. A lot of money has now been spent. Mm. A lot of money. Um, more money than I thought. I, I think I ever thought I'd see Arsenal spend. You know, huge, huge sums. And it hasn't made us competitive. And I think... <sighs> You know, that project's not worked, basically, and it's, it is time for something new. And I think you're right, the board, I would like to see pressure exerted on the board, and I think Arsene Wenger protects the board to an extent. I think just by virtue of being there, he's a bit of a lightning rod. Mm. And I actually think that only once he goes will scrutiny on the board reach the appropriate level, because it'll be the final excuse. It'll be, well, why aren't we successful now? You know, we've removed Arsene Wenger, we've got this trendy young coach in, or whoever it might be. Yeah. Um, Roy Hodgson, or whoever it is. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and we're not winning the league, so then I think, you know, the focus will turn on the board. But the board, if the board had any balls, they would see what's happening now as a tremendous opportunity. Like, if Stan Kroenke gave a shit, or if Gazidis had any balls, he would say, well, look, 
the Arsenal fans are close to consensus, really, on the future of the manager. Ultimately, we are the authority in this football club. We know what needs to be done. We can bring in a football executive. We can hire a new coach. We can make it clear that there is a radical new plan for success at Arsenal, which comes from the very top down. It's not that difficult. It just it requires a bit of authority and a bit of integrity and giving a fuck. And if they do that, then the fans would be on side with the board. And, you know, and that would be a tremendous, tremendous win for them. But the remarkable thing is, they probably won't. No, they'll 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 pitch they'll in behind a two-year extension and, <laughs> and and put ticket prices up and see what happens. Abso- you, you know, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right with that. That that it, it it seems like the logical thing to do if you're in this circumstance. But I guess what what they think and what what. Uh, what fans think is very different or very far removed, you know? And I keep coming back to this. I keep coming back to this thing that Gazeta said five years ago, where he talked about ultimately it's the fans who will decide the future of the manager. Yeah. That's what he said. The fans will decide the future of the manager. I don't think we're at that point yet. Well, I think we're at that point now. And I think... You know, I felt really sorry watching Arsene Wenger. I felt sorry for him. I know some people are angry and some people don't care about him and some people are furious with him and everything else. I felt sorry for him uh, at one point during that Liverpool game where he just sat there and he ran his hands through his hair and it was like, what the fuck? How, yeah. how, how can I, what, what can I do here? And I, I, he doesn't look healthy at the moment. Did you watch the boxing on Saturday night? No. Did you watch David Hay? No. I saw bits of it and it was like a horrible... I'd only recently seen the Liverpool game and this guy, David Hay, fighting on on one leg, you know, refusing to <laughs> mm. to give up while he was battered by a less classy opponent. Yeah. I couldn't help but be struck by the, you know, the parallels. And I almost, you know, I mean, it's not a flattering one for Arsene Wenger, but I, I feel... As a man who loves Arsene Wenger, I don't like to watch the way this is going. No, neither do I. I think it's it's difficult to watch because it's sort of like a slow car crash. And I think, going back to what Gazeta said that time, they have to take some responsibility for the way that uh, certain sections of fans are willing to direct their ire and anger so viciously at the manager. Because they've been mm. told that's how you should behave if you want a managerial change. They were told that by the chief executive. Ultimately, it's the fans who will decide. It's not like fans, it's not like there's a vote. It's not like a fucking reality TV show where we all pr- push a button. The way you make yourself heard is by, you know, uh, through social media, through interactions, uh, you know, before and after games, through protests, through banners and all that kind of stuff. And that that statement from Gazidis, I think, is is one of the worst things I've ever heard from a chief executive of a football club. To what, you know, they've yeah. told fans, right, we're not going to make the decision. It's not on us. We're only the people who are paid millions of pounds to run this club. Stan Kroenke's the guy who takes you know, £3 million in advisory fees, dividends dressed up as, like, advisory fees. 
we're, we're happy to coin in the money, but when it comes to responsibility, when it comes to the future of the football club, when it comes to making difficult decisions, they're not willing to do it. You know, they're just not willing to do it. And they've, they've outsourced that responsibility to fans. And it's no wonder well, that fans I, are, are, are reacting the way that they are to a certain extent. I, you know, I don't agree yeah, with the absolutely. viciousness or the vitriol. I don't. I find it hard. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that people uh, can't have a, a, a negative opinion of Arsene Wenger. I just find it hard when he's routinely abused and um, called names. I, you know, I think we could be, we should be better than that. But let's not ignore the fact that the what the board have said and what Gazeta said has played a part in that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, and I think the problem that they've given themselves now is that they've handed over that responsibility to the fans. And obviously I don't want to speak for everybody, but from where I'm stood, it looks like the fans have kind of made their decision. It feels like we are at least approaching a consensus. Mm. Um and still the board, I suspect, will do nothing. And what that then does is put it entirely in the hands of Arsene Wenger. And I think that's actually maybe unfair. You know, like I know it's like he's been a great servant, it should be his decision, but putting <laughs> putting all that pressure on, on one man to make that decision I mm. think is a very difficult position. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, because when Gazeta said that, he's like, okay, the fans will decide. But what does he practically mean? Like, what what, what does he expect to happen? Yeah, I don't know. He, he know it's well, Yeah, oh, sorry. Oh, excuse me, uh, Ivan, there are a group of fans outside who've come to make it clear what they think you should do about the manager. They're here, uh, they've written a nice letter for you. Have a read of that letter, see what you think. See if you could, uh, you know, do your job at that point. You know, it's, what do they expect? Just they completely abdicated the responsibility that they have as the people who supposedly run the football club. And they're getting away with, they're getting away with it without so much as a fucking flea in their ear, really. Maybe I'm the yeah. only one beating this drum, but to me it feels completely wrong and unfair. I don't, I don't think you are there on beating the drum. I mean, look, this is kind of a related question. It comes from at Invinciblog on Twitter. It's a, a bit of a long one, but I'll, okay. I'll read it nonetheless. Uh, okay, so, uh, ba, 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 loading it up. Um, I've come to, like, like you both, I've finally come to the conclusion that I would like Arsene Wenger to leave the club at the end of the season. However, not wanting to shout it into a camera or from the rooftops or fling dog shit on the manager as he gets on the bus led to me thinking that a large part of the tension between fans is, in fact, a disagreement about the manner in which we resolve grievances. It's class and apathy, i.e. no banners, no abuse, versus no class activism, marches, fan TV. Also, the logical fallacy of reducing it to a binary problem, Wenger in and out, doesn't sit well with those who see it in a larger context of owner, board, manager, coach, players. So what is the right way to protest... How do Arsenal fans ever find common ground again? <laughs> Easy one for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do fans find common ground again? Look, the thing about it is, is that everything or every time you become or you identify as one thing, within that one thing, there's always going to be factions. There are always going to be divisions. 
you know, you're a football fan, but you're not a fan of Manchester United, you're a rival with Manchester United with Tottenham, but, you know, you're an Arsenal fan and you either want Wenger to stay or you want Wenger to go or you think Aaron Ramsey's a good player or you think Aaron Ramsey's a cunt or, you know, you know what I mean? So these things, it's impossible for everybody to agree on everything all the time. I do think there's a there's a difficulty in identifying what is the the right way to make your point or for fans to make your point because some people will say during the game you know you should just get behind the lads 100% and you know I'm kind of on board with that but you know if you're 4-0 down at half time people are going to boo right it's human nature yeah. um you know I, I I'm okay with any form of protest or uh, people airing their grievances, as long as it's done with a modicum of respect and intelligence, that it's not like flaming pitchforks and people, uh, you know, being being idiots. You know, I think we can all more or less uh, get behind that or respect that. You know, you've got, you pay your money, you're allowed to voice your opinion. Nobody's saying you can't have an opinion. It's how you voice that opinion that I think uh, is the big question. That it's perfectly reasonable to say, I don't want Arsene Wenger to be the manager anymore. I think that's fine. Arsene Wenger is a fraud or a French cunt. Not right. That's where, yeah. To me, that's where, where I would draw the line. Um, or where I see the separation rather than draw the line. Uh, how we... How we find consensus, I, I really don't know. I mean, I guess it's, um, I don't know. Do, do you think it's incumbent on Arsenal fans to do anything? Like, ultimately, if it feels like a rudderless ship, if it feels like something with no direction, you know, is it down to the supporters to play a more active part? And, and how... Can we do that? I mean, I, I'm asking you because I don't know. I, like, I, uh, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I, I We're not being listened to already. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I don't. I, I really don't know. I don't know. But I, I mean, the, and I, uh, yeah. Sorry to jump in, but I'm caught between wanting things to change and thinking that a way to bring that about is by you know very clear public demonstration but i don't in any way find that gratifying or appealing it's not something i don't want to see sixty thousand people at the emirates saying they want the manager removed that's i find that prospect horrific yeah but i also feel like it might be the only thing that makes anyone at board level pay attention yeah or not but or not they might it might it might not as well yeah if the seats are full <laughs> Well, I mean, there is there's the other one, isn't it? Don't go. But then, yeah, that you can't tell you can't tell people not to go and watch. I mean, I find that you know, uh, what's the word here? Like the idea that you should tell somebody don't go and watch your football team if you really want to protest, don't go. That's like, well, fuck off. Who are you to tell somebody not to go? They're behind their football team. They might not agree with the manager or the board or the way things are being run, but they want to watch their football team and support their football team and see their football team win. That's what they that's sure. what they want. So why should you deny yourself something that <clears throat> excuse me that they you know that you 
that you love just because things aren't going the way that you want it to go. But it is, at the end of the day, a, a, a legitimate form of protest, a very noticeable form of protest that when there are empty seats. You know, I think I had a question here about that. Um <clears throat> I mean, if, if you're going to not go to a game, tomorrow is the one. <laughs> well, I suspect there's going to be a fair amount of empty seats tomorrow, no? Yeah, surely. Surely. Mm. Here's, here's a question, uh, then, given that we're on the manager. On. It comes from uh, Jace at Jace AFC, and he says, do you remember a specific game where you lost faith in Arsene Wenger as the man to carry the club forward? Poor... Uh, no, if I'm honest, I don't remember one specific game off the top of my head. I think there have been some that have resonated more than others. Um, I mean, you know, it's the big away defeats that have always stuck in my mind. Mm. Uh, the kind of psychological reverberations of the 8-2 at Old Trafford, I don't think have ever quite gone away. Um, again, 6-0 at Stamford Bridge. I just feel like those left imprints on our confidence and our consciousness in these games and uh, did, a, did, did real, real damage. More recently, I think um, Old Trafford, maybe last season, you know, the, the, when we had that kind of... We beat Leicester and there was a chance to go on and gallop on and and seize the lead for ourselves and really, really failed to do so. Um, but I, to be honest, it's been a gradual thing for me. It's been a, it's a, been a much more gradual process. Mm. As I think it has been for the club generally and for the manager, I think it's been a sort of slow, dawning realisation that my great dream that he would finish on a this high... Um, probably isn't going to be realised, but I, I don't think there's one game where I was like, that's the one. I mean, is there, is there something in your mind at all? No, again, it was kind of gradual, but I, I can't look beyond the the Old Trafford game last season. That, that certainly broke something yeah. in me, that game. And the following game was uh, Swansea. I think we uh, lost so that game at home. Yeah. So I think those those two games were were ones where I felt like the team was... He, he just wasn't able to get what he needed out of his team. And this summer, you know, when we went out and we bought big and we spent big money on a centre half, we spent big money on a central midfielder, uh, you know, we brought in a striker. Uh, you were sort of going, OK, well, look, he's, he's had the money to spend to, to augment this squad. Uh, let's see if this season can be different. And the two games, Everton and Man City, going ahead and losing those games, and then just the last few weeks. The last few weeks, I think, are are just the final pieces of evidence that what he wants from his team and what his team are either capable of delivering or willing to deliver for him are are miles apart. Just miles yeah. apart. And 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 I, it's not the same situation, but. You look at Leicester, right? And I know it's a very different situation, but you look at this dramatic, almost insulting upturn in their performances, 
and I, uh, since the departure of Ranieri. And I, and I do feel like that acts a little bit as evidence that sometimes it is just a bit broken. Mm. And it's, if anything, at Arsenal, it's much more the case because it's over a much longer period. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel like it It fundamentally... I think Arsene Wenger could maybe walk into another club tomorrow and be a success, potentially. I, I really actually believe that. And I think... I just think that it's it's done for him at Arsenal. I just don't think he can affect change in yeah. the way that he used to be able to. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess I've reached that point. I mean... Probably more now than ever. More than now than ever. But it's been a very gradual thing. Yeah. Yeah, and look, that's what happens, isn't it? The manager goes and the players stay the same. This idea that there'll be an exodus is is wrong. Some players might leave. Few players will come in. But for the most part, you're looking for a new man to get more out of the players that we have at this moment in time. And that's not an impossibility because it's a fresh voice. It's a fresh approach. It's new ideas. It's different training. You know, there, there does come a point where when you're hearing the same things, they, they just don't get through. And I, I, I think that's where we are just before we finish. Cause we've been going on quite a while here. Uh, at Ilum sphere wants to know serious question. How are you both? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, both ill now, uh, as a consequence of our digital proximity. Mm. I, 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 uh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm very, I'm, I'm down about Arsenal. Actually. I, I think, I had reached a point of slight detachment with it where it wasn't affecting me as much as it used to because I sort of had grown so tired and frustrated of the the same old shit, really. But uh, something this weekend, I think it's probably a bit of a collective thing of of Munich and and Chelsea and a few other games, has sort of pushed me back into feeling it. And on one hand, that's awful because... It's bringing me down, and I can see that we're in slightly dire straits. But on the other hand, it's nice to feel uh, connected to it, and I and I I really believe that change will be good for Arsenal. I really, really believe that, and I'm now at the point where, even though he doesn't know it himself, and without wishing to sound patronising, I think it will be good for Arsene Wenger. I think he will be a happier man. Yeah, I mean, there's part uh, of me that when he really, steps away. Yeah, I. I th- we know he's a workaholic and we know that he loves football and he loves Arsenal and he can't really envisage his life without being a football manager. But there's part of me that thinks when I look at him, dude, just like, just take six months. Yeah. You can get a job yeah. wherever you want pretty much after that. But take six months and see, just see, you might like it. You might like just sitting around. You might like taking some time off. You might like not feeling so unbelievably stressed every minute of every day. I mean, the f- look, we all have worries in our life, and people can say, oh, he's paid £8 million a year or whatever it is. It doesn't alter the fact that he's still a man under, you know, huge pressure. You can see it in him every time he talks. He's got a press conference coming up now. The, the, today at 12.30, he's going to be asked all about that. You know, you'll see it in him then. And there is part of me that thinks, you know, maybe... Maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him just to step away, recharge his batteries, and if he wants to continue as a football manager, it's there for him. And as terrified as I am about, uh, just to sort of go back to the question, as, as sort of terrified as I am about this 
current board's inability to make the decisions that I would like them to make or hope that they would make. There's also a part of it where you think it could be maybe just a bit exciting. So what if they, you know, manage to bring in some cool, great new manager, coach guy who gives this team a new identity, who can pick up the baton from Arsene Wenger and 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 take the team on a little bit. So it is. Yeah. It's, it's all going to have to come apart before it comes back together. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and it, it might be shit for a, for a couple of seasons. I don't know. You know, we might have our David Moyes. I don't know, mm. but. Um, it's going to have to happen sooner or later, and at the moment, it definitely, it definitely feels like it should and will be sooner. So there you go. There we go. All right. Well, look. Uh, I think we better leave it there. I think we've said everything that needs to be said. Uh, uh, hopefully, um, we've got a game yeah. against. <laughs> well, we've, we've until next yeah. week. <laughs> Bayern Munich. Yeah, exactly. Um, Bayern Munich. Yeah. I mean, look. I've. That's going to be a really weird occasion, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Really odd. Like I take a, I take a one nil or a two one or something like that, just to, just to sort of give us something to enjoy, uh, even if it is a what's the Furic uh, victory? You know, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be enough to to send us through to the next round unless something incredible and remarkable happens and I, I just can't see that but you know just get a win win against Lincoln next uh, week or this coming weekend and, and then you've got an FA Cup semi-final and you know who knows maybe that's the thing that could that could be what allows Arsene Wenger to go out on a high like winning the FA Cup and, and, and walking away at that point would be I think a fitting end um, to his uh, to his Arsenal career so that would be great. It would it feels, be good. It feels a long way away right now, mm. but uh, it's only three games, I guess. Yeah, all right. Well, look, uh, we will have an Arsecast on Friday, uh, looking back at what happens on Bayern and looking ahead to the Lincoln game, and uh, we'll be here next Monday. Don't forget to go and see uh, Beasts in the Soho Theatre. Yes, yeah. Soho Theatre, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. Do it. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. How long is the show? How long does it go on for? It's only an hour of your time, oh and then I'll God. be in the bar afterwards, and you can, you know, say hello. Touch your hair. I'll, you touch, well, what's left of it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that's fine. It's from all the people uh, touching it, I guess. I guess, if they would only leave it, you know, for, it, it <laughs> might regrow. Um, but yes, that'd be lovely to see some of you there. And guys, try and have a good week, eh? It's, it's only football, after all. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. No, I look I, mean, at I tried. Friends, you tried. You tried. I tried. I tried. All right. Uh, thank you, as ever, for listening. Thanks for sticking with it this long. Uh, there was obviously a lot to talk about. Hopefully, we got through it all. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.